we believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. And let the people sing praises. We pick it up in verse 27. Then some of the Sadducees who deny that there is a resurrection came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife, and he dies without children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died without children, and the second took her as a wife, and he died childless. Then the third took her, in like manner the seven also, and they left no children and died. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife does she become? For all seven had her as a wife. Well, a few things to start tonight. Jesus is going to talk about eternity, and he's going to talk about the kingdom age, and he's going to talk about who's worthy to be in that kingdom age. But first, it's these guys that get us to the heart of the text tonight, and so we want to pause here and think about them. The Sadducees, of course, were religious leaders. They were very different than the Pharisees. The Pharisees believed the entire Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi. They would be considered orthodox in their theology. They believed it was from God, all of it. The Psalms, everything, they believed it. Problem was, they, didn't, they, had, they added to it, and Jesus reproved them for that. You, you say this, but then you do that, and you, by the commandments of men, you make null and void the commandment of God. But to their credit, they believed in a a literal resurrection and accountability to God, which is biblical, the Old Testament. We have the resurrection promise about the Messiah in Psalm 16. We have a type of resurrection in Genesis 22 when uh, Abraham offered up Isaac and came down the mountain with Isaac as he went up with Isaac. And Hebrews 11 in the New Testament tells us that he received him back from the dead figuratively. So we know that's a type of the resurrection. And then we know in the prophetic book of Daniel, so this would be the law of the prophets and and, um, the Psalms. All three of those subdivisions of the Old Testament have the resurrection. But in the book of Daniel, around 580-ish BC, a little later than that, um, Daniel, in the last chapter, spoke of a resurrection of the just to eternal life and the unjust to eternal condemnation. There is no question that in the Old Testament scriptures entrusted to the Jewish people and the religious leaders, including the Sadducees, that God clearly taught a eternal life and an accountability for our actions in this life. There's just no, it's without debate. So the Sadducees, as a religious group, they did not see the book of Daniel as being the inspired word of God. Why wouldn't they? Well, because it didn't match up with their theology. Pastor Chuck Smith at Calvary Coastal Mesa used to say this, and I I found this to be science and truth in the human behavior. We always find a theology that matches our lifestyle because we have to live with our conscience. So 
And I've even done that in my own life uh, in the 80s at one point when I said as a Christian, then I didn't really want to, when I found out what the Bible really taught, I didn't want to match my life up to it. So I changed my theology and I tell people I'm not that kind of Christian, like the Ben Born Again kind of Christian of the 70s. I literally said that. And we find a theology, a belief system of morality concerning divinity, God, that matches how we want to live. So this is why I quote almost every passage, every study I say, let God be true and every man a liar. Because God's word is clearly revealed to guide us in all things pertaining to life and godliness. But what happens is people, when they don't want to let God be true and they don't want to submit and trust his plan and his purposes and his word, they change his word. They say, well, I don't believe that's God's word. I believe it. Maybe that, I like this part. Jesus loves all the little children, but I don't like this part that he's the judge of all in Revelation 20. So people begin to pick and choose what they like about the Bible or don't like about the Bible. I know a woman who once was so upset, she misunderstood the application of wives be submissive to your husbands that she tore that page out of her Bible. She just didn't like it and she tore it out of her Bible. So give her credit. She knew where she was at and what she wasn't willing to do. She's a wonderful woman of God to this day. But you know, I'm sure we've all read our Bibles at certain times. We're like, you know what? I don't like that. Well, it's not there to like you. It's there to save you. And it's not there to leave you as Adam or Eve. It's there to transform you to become the sons of God and, and daughters of the king. Okay. But let God be true and every man a liar. And the Sadducees, they're liberal theologians. It's what they were in the Old Testament. They simply lived for time, space, and matter, the things of the earth, and the temporal, which, by the way, is the foundation of all liberal religious theology. If you look at the Western world, not Eastern religions and even Middle Eastern religion like Islam and stuff like that, but the Western world, uh, Christendom, if you will, from Europe and our own nation, in the long history of the church, the liberal church is that portion of the church, liberal Protestantism, that rejects the totality of Scripture. And they reject it because they don't think God would judge people for sin, that they don't believe in a hell or something like that, or that God, that how can a God of love allow evil? How can a God of love uh, um, impute wrath on people or whatever? And because they don't understand God's nature, let God be true and man a liar, they redefine a God according to their own minds. And that's modern liberal theology. And many of the modern uh, mainstream denominations have done this. Most mainstream denominations that are reflections of movements of God's spirit in the past are liberal in their theology. They do not believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. They do not believe that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the authoritative word of God. They, they, they have a, a universal salvation, many of them. Uh, and these are mainstream denominations, a, a lot of them. Now, you will find true believers in these denominations who believe the Bible is the word of God, and they believe Jesus is the only way uh, to the Father. You'll find that in these denominations, and even in the book of Revelation, when Jesus addresses the seven churches of Revelation, even the churches like Sardis that's dead, there are still a remnant in those churches. So don't misunderstand me as saying that someone goes to a certain church, they don't believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and they don't believe the Bible's true. They do in many cases, but the leadership of many of these denominations do not. I can remember reading a couple years ago an article where the director of the Episcopalian Church in America, the Church of England, a woman flat out rejects Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven and the Bible as the authority and various other liberal doctrines that they embrace to be relevant to society. And relevant, by the way, means that you adapt to what is around you. But God's word is the ultimate authority, not society. 
God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday and forever. And these Sadducees really, in this context, really give us a, a good look at what not to be in the year of our Lord 2019 in the body of Christ. Our theology is sound. We are told to rightfully divide the word of truth. And we're told that all scripture is profitable, that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And as it says in Romans, let God be true and every man a liar. And it's really important when we think about God's word that it is there to reprove us and correct us, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, to our own benefit. Psalm 119 tells us all the wonderful things that God's word does. It, it, it's a restraint in our heart against evil. It's a light to our path. How can a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed according to your word. And God's word is living and powerful. And it's always the best thing to let God's word judge us, reprove us, and correct us, because where our soul, our heart, our mind, and our life does not match up with God's word, that's our problem. That is in rebellion to God. That is contrary to his will in our life. And the wisest thing we can do is recognize the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, if we're followers of Christ, to be repentant when things come up as we read his word or hear his word that would bring to our mind things that are, not, that are wrong. Like, hey, you need to apologize to this person. You need to make this right. Or, or just the things that God's word does when we hear it, read it, and apply it. It's there. And God said, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot or tittle of my word will pass away. And God's word has stood the test of time from the attacks of the devil and fallen demented men throughout the church age, and it will continue to do so until the trumpet sounds and calls us home and the end of this age comes. So the Sadducees are exhibit A of what happens when you reject God's word as the authority of your life and you make you the authority over God's word and you become the judge of God's word and you go crazy. My son Timothy was just out at by uh, Forest Homes out there in the back part of Big Bear Mountain the other day. And he's like, oh, we went by that retreat center and it's Forest Homes there where Billy Graham, the great evangelist, the man who discipled him was a great evangelist. And then after World War II, this man uh, became a judge of God's word. And he became convinced that God's word wasn't the final authority, that Jesus wasn't the only way, and he couldn't get past certain things that he had set up in his mind contrary to God that he just couldn't reconcile. So... He rejected the gospel, which would have been a major stumbling block for someone like Billy Graham. Can you imagine? It'd be really uh, unfathomable for many of us to comprehend this. And he told Billy that he had it all wrong, and he tried to get Billy to renounce his faith in Christ, renounce his faith in the scriptures. And Billy Graham went right up here in the foothills of uh, San Bernardino about 1947, right before the Billy Graham crusade in Los Angeles. And he wrestled with God over the issue, is God's, the Bible, God's authority over all matters of life, time, space, and matter. Because he, had, he was an employee of Youth for Christ, and he was an evangelist, and did he have it all right, or did he have it all wrong? And he came to an agreement between him and the Lord, Billy Graham, that he would receive God's word completely. And whatever parts of God's word at any time in his life that he didn't have an answer for, or uh, just couldn't quite get right in his mind, that he would give that to the Lord as an offering, but he would preach the gospel from Genesis to Revelation with the very fiber of his being for his entire lifetime. And he came to that conclusion after about a three-day period 
right over here, San Bernardino. And then, of course, the Los Angeles Crusade with Billy Graham was the crusade that launched his ministry, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, and the rest really is church history. But he had to decide, did he believe God's word or would he be a Sadducee like the one who discipled him? Because the one who discipled him said, we believe these things, but we don't believe those things. And I don't believe God left us his word to be uncertain, but that all scriptures God breathed. And the apostles' doctrine is there for us to be thoroughly equipped. And I don't believe we can ever get to the end of our life if we live a rich, full life and be on our deathbed and regret that we believe God's word from Genesis to Revelation. I do not think we'd regret that. And I do not believe that we'd regret being a preacher, an evangelist, a woman of God, a man of God, and serving God and seeking spiritual things. At the end of the journey, I can't imagine that any of us on our deathbed would have any remorse or regret to letting God be true and every man a liar, that we let God's word direct our lives in every facet of our lives so we can be thoroughly equipped as a woman of God and a man of God to fulfill his calling on our life. These Sadducees made an egregious mistake in rejecting the prophetic word of the prophet Daniel, and in doing so, their minds, fallen men, the sons of Adam are fallen, they're in their depraved minds, they came up with a hypothetical situation based upon unbelief and rejection of the scripture, which is what a lot of people do outside these doors that are so-called theologians in the liberal churches. All the, the re, redefining of so many things in our society are the basis of demented people who reject God's word, claim to be religious, and like the Sadducees, they come up with hypothetical situations to their own destruction. How can God... But God answers to no one. In fact, when Job questioned God, what did God say to Job for about four chapters near the back end of those 30s? Hey, where were you when I made the constellations? Were you here when I did this? When I made the dinosaurs, were you around? Where were you? I'll tell you what the final say is. And that's what it is for everybody. It may not happen in time, space, and matter, but it'll most definitely happen in eternity. So these men concocted this strange scenario where the man it took a thing that got, was a good thing in God's law to preserve the name and the heritage and, and the land according to the tribes of the Old Testament. It's a good thing. And they twisted into like a strange thing. Like, how could God be so diabolical? To, like uh, seven brothers all have the same wife. Like, it's like an accusation. It's a subtle accusation against God is what it is, which is what people like that do. You know, it's like saying that God made a woman a woman when she really is a man, right? That's an accusation against God. When someone says that God put a woman in a man's body, they're accusing God of doing something wrong. God gets everything right. Now, there are things that happen that are a reflection of sin that affects the physical, including birth defects and things like that. But God can use all that for good because he even said to Moses, who made the deaf, the blind, the, the lame? Was it not I, the Lord? He can take any human life and glorify himself through it. And you look at the guy from Australia, the life without limbs with the no limbs, and what he's done for the Lord is unbelievable. You look at Bethany uh, uh, Hamilton, he, the, the, losing the arm to the shark, and as a one-armed one mother, and the ministries that she does every year with all these people, all these girls with birth defects, and uh, you just don't underestimate. Don't sit back and say, God can't use this or this person or that person. God is in the business of redeeming and restoring and healing and using for his glory. That's what God does. But these, these guys, they represent Romans 1 in a lot of ways because Romans 1 says that if you reject the creator and his revelation, you'll worship and serve the creature and you'll be given over to depraved thinking and a debased mind and a depraved heart. 
which you don't, you can do that in religion, and a lot of people have, and they're doing it, and they're leading many people afoul in the name of Jesus with bad doctrine, having been given over to the lust of their flesh, and changing the glory of the incorruptible God into a creature, some diabolical being that would be, do cruel things. This is what happens. And when Jesus responded to these guys, he said, you know what? We don't have it here, but in Matthew's gospel, he said, you guys are greatly mistaken, is the first thing he said to them. You are greatly mistaken because you, need, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God, is what Jesus said. You know, Jesus doesn't really, a lot of times he just lets things go. He said in this context, you are greatly mistaken. You don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. And I would say yes and amen because they didn't. The application from these guys is be very aware and be very careful to embrace any thought processes, doctrines, philosophies, and views that are contrary to the character, the nature, the work, and the revelation of God. Let me say that again. Be careful to embrace any theology or teachings that are contrary to the character of God, what he has accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus Christ, what he's revealed about himself in his word, his righteousness, his holiness, his justice, what he's revealed about where he's at in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and what he's revealed about what he's going to do, return in glory to establish the kingdom. And the common denominator of all liberal theology in America and Protestantism, and even if it's liberal Catholicism as well, is in some way or another, it takes away from God's word, it subtracts from God's word, and puts the opinions of men over that word. And Peter warned about this himself when he said to, uh, in Second Peter, be careful of men who twist God's word to their own destruction. And we have this prevalent and epidemic in this nation and on this planet in modern Christendom. The Sadducees are classic liberal religious scholars who reject the person, the work, the place, and the promises of Jesus Christ. Beware of any people who hold to that kind of a view it is damnable, and it will be judged by the Lord himself. Let God be true, and every man a liar. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. These guys, it's, it's just, it's a warning to us. And what you, how you know you're really dealing with liberal theology or liberal teachings in the church is it's about here and now as opposed to eternity. It's about the temporal. It's about earthly gain, not eternal gain. It's about control of the temporal. The common denominator of liberal theology in the name of Christendom is it deals with its earth-based, it's earth-oriented, it's time-limited, and it does not look at the life to come. It's focused on the temporal that's passing. That's the most obvious identification of bad theology. Not that God doesn't care about the here and now. Not that God doesn't care about what he's doing in the here and now. But everything he's doing in the life of a believer in the here and now is to transform us for then in the future. That's very clear in the scriptures. Why do you think Jesus said, if you follow me, pick up your cross and die to yourself daily? 
That's the death of the here and now to be fruitful in the power of the Holy Spirit for the here and now for eternity for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said it best, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. That's, that's, Jesus said, store up your treasures in heaven. For where your treasures, your heart will be also. These guys, something, such a good thing in the law meant to be a blessing to a family and an inheritance to somehow make God look unfair or diabolical. And Jesus said, you don't know you are mistaken, you don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. So what, what is the thing that really matters with these guys? They're Sadducees. They're just time, space, and matter. They're about political power in the temple. They have no vision for the kingdom of eternity. You know why they don't believe in a resurrection? Because they don't want to be accountable in a resurrection. You know why they reject judgment? Because they don't want to think they're going to be judged and held accountable. We must all, Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men to turn to Christ, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 34, we pick it up. In the context, as recorded for us in Luke, Jesus says this. Jesus answered and said to them, the sons of this age in Mary are given in marriage. So he's a- answering their hypothetical, ridiculous question. He says, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of present tense, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well. But after that, they dared not question him anymore. So in his response, notice this. The Sadducees reject the resurrection. They reject the totality of Scripture as it was entrusted to them. They're about, Caiaphas and Ananias, the dual high priest, they were Sadducees as well. They're about political, temporal, religious power. They're about the show and what you can have. Jesus said, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. He draws a distinction between eternity and time. Now, when Paul wrote the Corinthians, he said, concerning the resurrection, there's an earthly body and a celestial body. We have a temporal body for here, but when we go to heaven, we have a, a glorified body for there. When Paul wrote the Colossians, he said, when Christ comes in his glory, it is not yet revealed what he will be like, but we will be what we will be like, but we will be with him in his glory. That we will have, we will share in that glory. We'll get a glorified body like Jesus' glorified body. John, when he wrote 1 John, said the same thing in chapter 3, that we will be glorified with him in his glory. We are, after all, in the estate. Romans 8 tells us that when we give our life to Christ, we're adopted in his family, and we are joint heirs with Christ for the things of all eternity in the new heaven and the new earth. So this is a very good question. This is a very good point that he says that those who are counted worthy to attain Verse 35, but those, in contrast to the temporal, the eternal, the, the eternal age, but those who are counted worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Now, we know in heaven there is no marriage in that sense. Ah, oh, doggone it. I love being married. Okay, well, yeah, but marriage has a lesson in time, space, and matter, but it has a purpose for all eternity. And 
truly we're married to Christ in eternity. I mean, literally the Bible tells us that he's the groom and we're the bride. So we understand that the church is the bride and, and Jesus is the head of the church. But in our glorified bodies, the things that we understand with the, in our temporal bodies, we're not, we, we can't understand this side of eternity what the glorified bodies are like or how we are in our completion in that. That's why God says it is that it's not entered our mind. We can't speak or understand those great things that God's prepared for us that when we enter into an eternity, it's received by faith. When we have our glorified bodies in heaven, those of you that put your trust in Jesus Christ, when we have our glorified bodies in heaven, those bodies are not uh, relevant to marriage and the reproduction of the human race. I believe we will know everybody in heaven. It stands to reason. But you know, in heaven, there's no sorrow, right? There's no more tears or sorrow. So these bodies will give us sorrow. The human experience will give us sorrow. Eternity is the completion of all things, and there's no more sorrow. You know, it's interesting when Adam and Eve fell into sin, they were warned that it would cause sorrow. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed.